Happy Sunday to you. If you're with us online uh, or you're here for the first time, know that we are glad you decided to worship with us today. Uh, This summer we have been marching through the first half of the book of Exodus. Uh, It's a rich book of the Bible that lays a lot of theological groundwork for uh, Jesus and the gospel. Uh, We're officially hitting the pause button on the book of Exodus and we'll pick it back up next summer. But today we're starting a a two-week mini-series I've titled Hot Topics in a Divided World. Uh, And my mother, when I told her about this, she said, son, why are you doing this? Uh, And well, one thing that is blatantly obvious is that 2020 has been a crazy year, Uh, a year that will be remembered for a long time. Uh, If you just say 2020, I think people just start to get a nervous twitch. Not only have we had a global pandemic, but on top of that, there's been a lot of uh, unrest surrounding racism and social justice uh, in politics. Uh, It doesn't take very long to get on social media or in a conversation with a friend or a family member to realize that we have, uh, there may be some differences of opinions. Uh, Maybe that would seem like an understatement. Uh, And so today we're going to address some of these head on. Uh, Today we're going to focus on the topic of justice and next week we're going to focus on the topic of politics. Uh, And then to follow up after that, For about 10 weeks, uh, we're going to jump into the book of Philippians uh, and and that looks and and continually uh, look at the the call for joy and rejoicing. But for today, we're in the topic of justice. Uh, And just a heads up, uh, this week and next week will feel very different than a typical New City Church sermon. Uh, We will almost always default to uh, staying in one passage of of Scripture uh, for the entire sermon, break it apart and take a deep dive into it. But every now and then, I think it's okay uh, to take an airplane airplane view at topics or themes that are seen throughout the entire Bible. Uh, And today's topic, justice, is one of those topics. And maybe uh, your experience has been different, but it's often not talked about uh, in the church. Uh, And so when we think of justice, it's often thought of through a political lens. Uh, We we often hear phrases like uh, social justice or criminal justice, or we think of a court or a gavel and a judge. Uh, uh, And some of this is right, but it's it's often uh, not defined by the Bible. Or maybe what comes to mind are, are phrases that have been used in the church, like social gospel or liberation theology. Things that have historically caused the church to stray away from the proclamation of the gospel. And the overreaction to the, is to reject the idea of justice and just to not talk about it or try to skirt around it. Uh, and it's not, it's not naturally one of those topics that people just get super excited about because it feels like a courtroom uh, or maybe it portrays a sense of harshness or maybe it just feels like someone is in trouble. Uh, because uh, it seems like a hot topic and it might just be easier to ignore. But the problem with this is that justice is a biblical term. It's a term that's, uh, that's used uh, that comes up about 150 times in the Bible. We can't read through the Psalms or the Proverbs or the prophets and not see this phrase used over and over and over again. And so, so today, as we talk about this, uh, we're going to structure our time very simply. And we're going to ask three questions. Number one, what is biblical justice? Uh, Number two, why is justice a hot topic? And number three, what is our response? And our first point is going to feel a little bit more like a lecture uh, or a theology class. Uh, And the hope is to lay a good foundation for us, rooting ourselves in God's word, creating a a framework to to work with. Uh, Because in our second point, we're going to bring up why it's a hot topic, some of the gray areas of justice, uh, bringing up some of the cultural issues of our day, uh, but only for a few minutes. Because the reality is, this is where most of the conversation stays, and this is where the enemy wants to keep us. Uh, but as God's people, we're, we're a blood-bought, Holy Spirit-empowered people. We have a different way. 
ultimately driving us towards our main idea that Jesus is perfect in justice. We're going to see how Jesus perfectly encapsulates this idea of justice. And because Jesus is perfect in justice, what are we going to do in light of this truth? Seeing our final point, what is our response? What are we to do? And so that said, we're going to dive into our first point. Number one, what is biblical justice? I mentioned this earlier, uh, but we often think of uh, different things when we think of justice. Maybe we think of a courtroom, maybe we think of jail, maybe we think of a judge, uh, or maybe we think of an old guy with gray hair with uh, rolled up hair and a black robe, or maybe you think of social justice or a political party, or maybe you think of a twin girl's clothing store. Whatever it is you think of, I want us to take it out of our head because we all come uh, to a commonly used word or phrase with some sort of preconceived understanding, and some of it's helpful uh, and some of it may not be. You know, it reminds me of the old comedy routine, uh, who's on first? Uh, the guy asks, hey, who's on first? Right, speaking of first base, and, and the guy responds back, says, that's right. Uh, and, and the guy says, no, 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 you didn't answer the question. And so he asks again, who's on first? And the guy responds, uh-huh, uh, yeah, that's right. And it goes on for a while, and it's clear uh, they're, they're not on the same page because the guy's name on first base was who? Right? His name was who? They were saying the same thing, but they were missing what was trying to be said. And so that's a little bit like uh, what has happened with the phrase justice. It may spark a preconceived idea for you, or maybe uh, you just don't know know what to think about it. Uh, And that's okay too. And so today, when we talk about justice, we need to make sure Scripture is our foundation. And so let's look at it. We're going to look at a few different passages to anchor our time. Uh, And and one of the more commonly quoted verses is Micah 6.8. It says... He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Uh, And just to say it again, what does the Lord require of us? He requires us to do justice. And and just to put some context around it, this was said in response to to the sacrifices made, uh, in essence saying, uh, I don't care about your sacrifices, or or to say it another way, I don't care about your religiosity uh, or religious offerings. I want you to do justice. I want you to love kindness, and I want you to walk humbly with God. And to bring up another commonly quoted verse, Isaiah 117 says, Learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. And so again, God's word tells us to seek justice. There's an action involved behind this idea of biblical justice. And it's, and it's, not, just a New Test, it's not just an Old Testament concept, it pervades the entire New Testament as well. Matthew 23, Jesus is teaching the scribes and Pharisees. And when I say teaching, here I mean strongly correcting. He's giving a stark warning to the religious people of the day, the scribes and the Pharisees. These are people that study God's law. They knew it backwards and forwards. Whose job? Their job was to get God's law right. And Jesus comes in, he gives them seven woes and seven warnings. And one of these warnings was neglecting what Jesus calls the weightier matters of the law. In Matthew 23, verse 23, Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. Jesus says the weightier matters of the law were justice, mercy, and faithfulness. They were doing some things really well, but they were neglecting justice. Uh, They were also neglecting mercy and faithfulness. And Jesus comes back and says, you need to do all of it. You can't do one without the other. And so it's clear, this idea of justice, it's important. 
We need to do it right. We not just think about it rightly, but we also need to do it rightly. We need to seek it rightly to actually live it out. And so we need to ask ourselves, well, what is biblical justice? Right? It's something that's important. It's something that we're to do. It's an action. And as I said uh, earlier, uh, we often equate justice to criminal justice, thinking of a courtroom setting, possibly thinking of something like jail because justice is a legal term. And to be clear, this is one possible outworking of justice, but it's also far more than that. Uh, we as the church, we cannot only hand over the actions of justice to politicians or judges. Uh, these are some outworkings of justice, and we'll get into these more next week. But if our only response as God's people is to get something to court or to vote, uh, we've essentially handed over our God-given responsibility as both individuals and as a local body of believers to do justice as it's seen in God's word. And so again, we have to ask, what is biblical justice? Or to, maybe to look at the inverse, what is injustice? We have to look at both. Uh, that said, I've got a few definitions of justice. One of my Bible dictionaries uh, defines justice as a, a concern to act rightly and to see, be seen by others to act rightly. Divine justice embraces every aspect of the right ordering of human society according to the will of God, its creator. Uh, just to rephrase it and to simplify it, we could say it's a concern to act rightly in all of human society. Another Bible dictionary defines it as righteous action that promotes equality among humanity. Again, we saw this in Isaiah 1.17, referenced earlier. It says, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. Uh, in essence, there's a building up and a creating, uh, creating fairness for people, for all people to be seen equally as equal image bearers. Psalm 99.4, and highlights this idea of fairness. It says, uh, the mighty king loves justice. You have established fairness. You have administered justice and righteousness in Jacob. Uh, Psalm 103.6 says, the Lord executes acts of righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. Uh, justice is needed in all areas of oppression, daily small acts of oppression and bigger acts of oppression. It says, uh, for all those that are oppressed in all forms, in all areas of life. And so we see that justice is an act of building up and defending the down and out, those that are treated poorly and not fairly. Something that's interesting that I want to point out uh, about justice is that in one of my theology books, when you look up, when you just look up the phrase justice, it says, see righteousness. That's all it says. Just see righteousness. Uh, why? Because justice and righteousness in both the Old and the New Testament, they're the same word. And in some cases, it's the same root word. Uh, a, couple, uh, a, a couple weeks ago, in one of our groups, uh, we were reading Revelation 19 about the return of Jesus, and one guy read his translation, and it said, he will bring righteousness. Uh, my translation uh, was different. It said, uh, he will bring justice. Because in English, we have two different words, but in the Hebrew and Greek, it's the same word, or at least it's very close. And so when we say we need to do justice or we're to seek justice, we could also come back and say we're to do righteousness or to seek righteousness, which righteousness, that's an often, that's an often, heard, that's often heard in the church. We talk about righteousness. And when we say that, just to put it more simply, righteousness is to be made right. When we talk about justice, it's the same thing. It's to make right. When something or someone is unrighteous or unjust or shows injustice, it's something that's not right. And so to make this very simple, knowing that justice is an action, it's something we're to do and it's something we're to seek. When we see injustice, when we see something that is wrong, doing justice would be to make it right. 
Again, putting it simply, doing justice is making a wrong right. And this is a commonly held and universally held thought, that if something is wrong, it needs to be made right. But the distinction between justice and non-Christian, or between Christian justice and non-Christian justice is what's actually considered right and wrong. There's a, the rub and the division comes in. Uh, th- this is where it comes in. It's uh, where, where the arguments are played out. This is where you see coaches and players, why, why you see them throw out of, thrown out of games. This is why politics can be so divisive. This is why kids cry and complain. And adults too. Right? People really argue and divide over the idea of making something wrong right. That's a generally held popular view. Seems good at the surface. Rather, people argue, over, argue and divide over what is actually right. And as Christians, our source of truth, our source of right and wrong is God's word. And so as a working definition for us today, biblical justice is upholding and doing what God deems right. And what God deems wrong, making it right. You know, if, you, if, you, if you're going to write it down, I would encourage you to write it down then quickly because we're going to move pretty quickly here. Because at the most basic biblical foundation, what God deems wrong is sin. And what God deems right is just or righteous. And so, uh, that said, we need to dive into the theology of sin really quickly because sin, uh, it causes injustice. Sin causes the wrong. It's important to understand sin uh, in order to understand injustice. Because at its core, sin is the foundation of every injustice. A a few quick things on every form of sin. There's not a single sin on this planet that that is exempt from any of this. The first thing about sin is, uh, is that sin is pervasive. It invades all of life. Every area of our life is at risk of sin. Nothing is exempt from sin. And because sin is pervasive, so is injustice. Injustice is also pervasive. And then next, sin is a disease. It can morph and change and look differently in different cultures and in different seasons of life. For example, pride. It can often look different for different people. It plays out in different ways. And the next, right, sin is often hidden, subtle, and deceptive. We know that we have an enemy that is crouching around like a roaring lion seeking to devour. And because sin uh, can be easily hidden, subtle, and deceptive, injustice can be easily hidden, subtle, and deceptive. And then lastly, as Christians, one of our greatest hopes is that sin can be conquered. We know that sin is pervasive, it's a disease and subtly deceptive, but with the power of the Holy Spirit and through the gospel, sin can be conquered. As Christians, we have a great hope in the gospel knowing that Jesus conquers sin, and because Jesus can conquer sin, we have a great hope that injustice can also be conquered, while also remembering on this side of heaven that we are never fully immune to sin until we see Jesus face to face. But we can find seasons of victory in our sin with the Spirit's help. And all of this is very important as we talk about injustice because, as I've said, every form of injustice finds its root in sin. That being said, if, if sin is the foundation of injustice, then Jesus who conquered sin is our foundation for justice. The greatest example of justice is found in the gospel. In fact, the justice of God is the story of the Bible. That's, it's the gospel. The gospel is God's perfect justice. The gospel without justice is not the gospel because it's not good news. If the gospel has no justice, our wrongs are not made right. Just listen to how the justice of God is found in the gospel. All of us in this room, 
watching online, everyone all over the planet, all of humanity have, have done wrong against God. We've disobeyed God in our sin. We've done an injustice to God. God created us to live rightly with him, but because of our rebellion and our sin, we have wronged God. And when we see God's uh, moral law, right, when, his, when we see God's standard of living, we see quickly that all of humanity falls short in living rightly. God created hundreds of rules and laws for his people to obey, and these rules and laws are his standard. These are his rules and his laws are his standard for what is right. And what we see in the story of the Bible, and, and really in the story of our entire life, uh, story of our life, is that we can't uphold these rules and laws because we're fallen, because of our sin nature. Essentially, every time we sin and disobey God by failing to uphold, by, by failing to uphold what is right, we are doing an injustice to God. We are wronging God every time we lie or steal or cheat or want someone else to suffer or look at something else with more value than God himself. We are wronging God. We're doing injustice to God. And so what did God do? He came in and displayed justice. God came in and made our wrong right. And he did it by sending his only son, Jesus, the only perfectly righteous and just person ever to walk the earth. God sent Jesus to make right our wrong. God didn't dismiss our wrong. He didn't dismiss our sin. Rather, he put it on Jesus at the cross, and Jesus took our injustice and gave us his justice. Jesus took our unrighteousness and gave us his righteousness. That's the gospel. Through the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus, when we put faith in Jesus, he takes our wrong and gives us the right that he did. Showing that the gospel is the perfect example of justice. In the gospel, God made our wrong, he made it right. And this is astounding. Today, if we are in Christ Jesus, we have been made right with God. We have been justified by God. We are no longer strangers and aliens, but we have been brought near to God. We're no longer orphans, but through Jesus Christ, we are made God's children. We are no longer criminals or rebels to God, but because of Jesus' work at the cross, we have been redeemed and we are considered his people. Through the justice displayed in the gospel, God redeems rebels and adopts orphans. Jesus made our wrong right, displaying perfect justice. And so when we think of this idea of justice, we can't isolate it from the gospel because the gospel is by far the greatest example of justice we have. The gospel is our foundation for justice. At its core, the gospel is justice. Psalm 45, it says, the scepter of your kingdom is the scepter of justice. And the author of Hebrews, uh, another book in the Bible, quotes uh, this specific psalm, this verse in Psalm, and he shows us that he's, he's speaking of Jesus. And what uh, he's saying here is that Jesus' perfect justice, his perfect righteousness, is essentially the power of God's kingdom. Jesus, making what is wrong right, Justice is at the core of God's kingdom. It's at the core of the gospel. If there is no justice, then nothing is made right. This is justice. It's taking what is broken and trying to put it back together. Justice is entering into brokenness and trying to redeem the brokenness. And everything I've said up to this point, as followers of Christ, I hope it would be a yes and an amen, showing that justice is not a drag. It's not to be scolded. But perfect justice should lead us to rejoice which would lead us to ask, then why, number two, why is justice a hot topic? And when we lay our foundation for justice under the authority of God's word, in reality, it should not be a hot topic. 
Doing and seeking biblical justice is good and right, and it should lead us to rejoicing. But as soon as we take a step into our culture where sin creeps in in complex situations with complex worldviews, the outworking of justice gets a little grayer. It starts to get a little spicy. Uh, Because as I've said, generally speaking, we would say we want justice. It's a commonly held thought that we should make what is wrong right. But because of the fallen world we live in, perfect justice, I would argue, it's, it's not attainable. The gospel is the only way to find perfect justice because in and through the gospel, Jesus makes us brand new. He makes us new creations. Jesus completely takes our injustice and makes us just and right. But in a, because in a fallen world, we can't undo death or hurt or grief or any, any wrong that was done. And so perfect justice on this side of heaven can't be found. It will be scarred by the brokenness of the world. We can say it this way. Perfect justice will only be found when we see Jesus face to face, which is followers of Christ. This is our blessed hope. But until that day, because of our fallen nature, because of the pervasiveness of sin, the subtlety of sin, and the disease of sin that is constantly changing, and because we're finite humans in a fallen world with limited capacity and understanding, every form of justice we seek will have some sort of sin or form of sin creep in at some level. Why? Because the world's broken. Justice is a hot topic because the world is broken. Justice as a very small, justice, just as a very small example that at the surface seems good and just. Let's say I see someone uh, that's hungry and they don't have any food. And I want to make that wrong situation right. So I give that person a bottle of water and a cliff bar. Seems nice. Uh, well, in that moment, there's the possibility in my own heart uh, to have some sort of judgment or apathy or laziness or greed or self-righteousness or pride. All these things can creep in. And for that other person, for him or her, it's not perfect justice because that bar will not completely satisfy. And will be in, that person will be in the exact same situation in just a few hours. And that's just a small example. But when we look at much more complex issues, uh, like what we've seen this summer that have caused outcries for racial injustice, at every, at every turn, the truth is amplified. Because you know what else makes justice a hot topic? It's not that we should do justice, but rather what makes justice a hot topic is the outworking of justice. It's what justice actually looks like. And on top of that, what makes it even more of a hot topic is trying to determine what is the wrong, especially as finite, sinful people with limited understanding of every detail. And so as we think about racial injustice specifically, as the church, what is very easy to distinguish is that racism is sin. Racism is not overtly said in the Bible, but it's a term that was created much later. Uh, But racism, as we know it, is sin. At its core, racism is a form of hate that demeans a person because of the way God made them. Racism is an image of God issue. All people were made equally in God's image. There is no tribe or tongue or people or race or ethnicity that is not equally made in God's image. To say that racism does not exist or to say that we shouldn't talk about it is to have a faulty understanding of sin. And as the church, every sin under the sun needs to be addressed. As we said earlier, every sin, which includes racism, is subtle, it's pervasive, and it can morph and look differently in different cultures and in different seasons of life. There's not a single person on this planet that is immune to racism or even have something of its form like ethnocentrism. Racism, like every form of sin, if we're not careful, can creep in in subtle ways and can infiltrate all parts of life because this is what sin does. 
And as the church, this is a non-negotiable for us. We will do whatever we can at all costs to fight against racism at all levels. Just like we fight against every other sin at all levels. There's no debate over this. Again, this should not be a hot topic issue. But what we have to understand is that at this level, this is still pretty vague and theoretical. But again, as soon as we start to get into each individual scenario of what justice looks like, the outworking of justice, it gets more complex especially when someone's life is taken. Regardless of the reason, it's tragic, it's traumatic, it's an emotional event, no matter whose life is taken or how it's taken or how many lives are taken, whether by COVID, a hurricane, rioters, terrorists, terrorists, or by the police, it's tragic. Especially when they are without Christ, it is tragic. And we throw hundreds of years of history that has demeaned specifically black Americans whose historical heritage that says your life does not matter. It adds to the trauma, and it adds to the emotion and turmoil. And as followers of Christ, we grieve this because we know that the Imago Dei says differently. The, it being made in the image of God says differently. We know that our black and brown brothers and sisters were made in the image of God. Every single one of their lives matters. It's precious and valuable, every single one. This is not a political thing. This is theological. And because of the trauma of a lost life mixed with the history of racial injustice, it's not hard to see that every incident is layered with complexities. And the, and the hard part of being on this side of heaven is that every person involved, those that were close to each incident and those that were not, have a longing for perfect justice, which is part of being human. We look at the world and say, it ought not be this way. This should not have happened. We need to make what is wrong right. And as the church, we should say yes and amen because God is a God of justice. But the complexities and difficulties and division comes in when fallen people seek to minister justice to fallen people. Every person on this planet has sin creep into their heart, even when they're fighting for what is good, especially when the desire and longing for perfect justice can't be met or it can't be satisfied. Police officers, every day, trying their best to make wrong situations right. It's one of the hardest jobs I can think of. Lawyers and judges and politicians trying to make wrong situations right. The general public, people like all of us, people like you and me, seeking, seeing something that is wrong and trying to make it right whatever, with whatever power we have at our disposal. And in almost every, in every instance and at every turn, doing what seems right in the moment, trying to make something wrong, right, sin can creep in because sin is pervasive. It's a de disease and it's subtle. Sin is pervasive at the first instance of injustice. It's pervasive at the reaction to the instance of injustice. And it's pervasive at the reaction to the reaction of, in, of the injust, injustice. Whatever it is, every person at every level has blind spots where anger or fear or prejudice or racism or pride or bitterness or whatever it is under the sun, the list could go on and on. But at every level, because of the reality of sin, these can all creep in. And not to mention, we have an enemy that speaks lies to us and to those around us at every turn, seeking to bring division in our broken and divided world, which should cause us to cry out, come, Lord Jesus, come soon. As Revelation 19 shows us, we should cry out, Jesus, come bringing your perfect justice. Jesus, come making every wrong right, because we're fallen, finite humans that cannot perfectly bring justice to a world that is broken, and it grieves us, and it grieves the world. Which leads us to our last point. If that is true, and number three, what is our response? What are we to do? At this point, uh, it seems as if we should just throw in the towel, right? And just say, why are we even trying? If sin and brokenness are so pervasive, if sin is so subtle and destructive, and we're going to fall short in our ministry of justice, then how do we do justice? 
How are we to seek justice? Because what I want to be very clear on is this. God's word calls us to do justice. We don't have a past. We don't have a past to sit back and to do nothing. Our faith is living and active, as James says. Faith without works is dead. Our faith is an active faith. Isaiah 1.17, as we've said multiple times today, uh, learn to do good, seek justice, reprove the ruthless, defend the orphan, plead for the widow. James 1.27 says, pure and undefiled religion is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. The Bible calls us to fight sin, bear one another's burdens, mourn and weep and lament with others. The New Testament has over a thousand commands for Christians to do. And so as Christians, we need to do them. And when I say this, we must be, we must be reminded and remember that this is to be done as a response to what God has already done for us in the gospel. And so when we hear the command for Christians to do justice, when we hear things like care for the burdened and not crush the afflicted, or to reprove the ruthless, or to reprove the oppressors, to defend the weak and the vulnerable. When, we, when we, we do these things because Jesus first did it for us. We may be limited in our ability to show perfect justice, but the more we understand God and his justice, the more we understand God and his ways, the better we can be used by God to be a better reflection of his ministry of justice. And may we not forget that God's power is made perfect in our weakness. And that God can take our finite human efforts and use it for his glory. Maybe you've heard the illustration of the woodpecker. You know, the, the woodpecker, he's on top of a, a, a big wooden pole. He's trying to split the pole in half, you know, pecking at it, pecking away. He's been pecking at it for years, trying to just make it split in half. Uh, and there's no chance this woodpecker will ever have this pole split in half. And God sees what the woodpecker is doing. Uh, see what he's trying to do, and, and he comes in. And God splits it open with lightning. And the woodpecker calls all of his woodpecker friends and says, Whoa, did you see what just happened? Look what I did. And he, go, and he goes, he calls all his woodpecker friends, and uh, they're all cheering and, and dancing and screaming and going crazy, and they're all worked up into a frenzy. And, you know, we hear that. It's uh, kind of a, a funny story, but that's essentially what our efforts of justice are like. We do the best we can, but we are dependent on God's power to take our weak efforts and, to, and for him to use them because God's power is made perfect in our weakness. Although imperfect, we absolutely can display an image of biblical justice to a world that is searching for perfect justice. We can display to the world that criminal justice matters, but we can show that it's also much more than that. That said, God's word gives us a few guide rails for justice a framework for just entering into brokenness and bringing about redemption to brokenness. And so in the last couple minutes, I want to give a simple framework for doing justice, for seeing brokenness restored. It's not, it's not perfect, but it's a step in the right direction. First, one of the easiest things we can do, one of the best things we can do is to first uh, grow in understanding we see in Romans 12 that we're called as Christians to grieve and mourn for those who grieve and mourn. And no matter what the situation is, we can look at every broken situation and mourn and lament and seek to understand the hurt. And to be frank about it, it really, it's really hard to grieve and mourn if we don't understand the problem, if we don't listen. Empathy, as a follower of Christ, is one of the best ways that we can step into brokenness. If we've never experienced what someone else has experienced, just listening and understanding and seeking to understand will go a long way. 
In fact, I would say without first listening and understanding, without growing in awareness, it would be very hard to grieve any form of just, or to bring any form of justice because if we don't listen and understand to what is truly wrong, it will be incredibly challenging to make it right. You know, something we know to be true of God, who is our perfect judge, is that he hears our cries. He hears our prayers and he knows what we feel. He understands our pain and hurt. Jesus, who is perfect in justice, he listened and grieved and sought to understand. He was slow to speak, slow to anger. And so as his followers of Christ, we do the same. One of the greatest challenges in our cultural climate uh, is that there's generally speaking an unwillingness to listen and understand. And so we need to ask ourselves if there is some sort of discord or disagreement, uh, have we been willing to listen and understand or try to empathize? Or try to, I mean, grieving and mourning, listening and seeking to understand, it's part of the action of justice. It's one of the first steps to enter into brokenness. And, and it'll go a long way. But it can't stop there. And, and so secondly, number two, we must take action. If there is something we can do to help right the wrong in a God-honoring way, then we should do it. We should do it with humility and grace. If the Bible calls us to do something like caring for the poor and the widow or to bring justice to the fatherless or to help the refugee or defending the weak and the vulnerable or to correct oppression or to establish fairness, then we do it. If the Bible commands it, then we do everything that the Bible commands. Something this will be, sometimes this will be easy and clear. Sometimes this will be hard and not as clear. And sometimes we may feel like we're not, we're not making any difference at all. But taking a step, big or small, in the right direction, guided by God's commands, is a good step. Just a few simple diagnostic questions uh, we can all ask. Or, or do we know anybody living in poverty? Do we know any orphans or widows? Do we know uh, anybody that is fatherless? Do we know any refugees? Are we rubbing shoulders or living life with people that don't look like us or talk like us or act like us? Do we have friends with different racial makeups or different cultural backgrounds? Are we praying for anybody by name who is marginalized or overlooked? If not, that's a really good first step, to be intentional, to start with one relationship, because real change starts with one. A ministry philosophy that has been so helpful for me with some of these really big, just macro level things, world global things, Things like the billions around the world that are without Christ, the billions who have never heard of Jesus, the millions of orphans or the millions of abortions that happen every year all over the world or the millions of people in poverty or things like generational poverty or the hurt and pain and agony people feel all over the, all over the country and all over the world or the struggles that people go through that, have a couple, that don't look like me. When we see these big uh, macro level issues, it can feel crippling. Almost like why even try? What's the point? What am I going to do? But the ministry philosophy that has been so helpful for me personally is this. Do for one that we wish we could do for many. Do for one that we wish we could do for many. Again, change starts with one. And so when we think about New City Church's ministry of justice, where we see issues and problems in our city and try to do our best to make them right and partner with schools and organizations and to see how we can make the biggest impact possible using our organized efforts like Serve Week that we have coming up. These are done to be a springboard, a starting point, a connection point to get the ball rolling so that each of us can be further propelled to do the best we can do to bring redemption into brokenness. In our organized efforts, like Serve Week, we do them four times a year. If that's all we're doing, we're missing the point. 
Serve week is not the finish line, it's the starting line. The hope and the vision is that when we serve uh, schools like Mort Elementary or the Pregnancy Care Center or any other organization that we partner with in simple and tangible ways, the hope is that we would be, it would be an entryway into further involvement to establish relationships, to, to possibly see things like tutoring a kid once a week that's behind and needs help, or, or, or to, to be able to take someone to the grocery store every week that doesn't have a car to get to the grocery store. Or just to be available if someone is in need and doesn't know who to call. Our prayer for New City Church from the very beginning has been that if anything ever happened to our church, our city would mourn our loss simply because of the impact we may have on our city. We've got a long way to go. But big change starts with small steps. Our church right now, we cannot uh, care for every orphan in Tampa, but right now we can step in and care for a few. Our, our, our church can't care for every widow, but we can start with a few. Our church can't care for every refugee or every unwed mother or every homeless per- person, but I know that we can care for a few. Our church cannot eradicate racism, but I know we can start with our own hearts and seek to influence those around, uh, around us. We can continually speak truth in love, continually showing and reminding people that every person was equally made in God's image. Because big change, it starts with small steps. We can't solve the world's problems on our own, left to our own accord. But brothers and sisters, New City Church, may we not forget, we serve a God who can. May I remind you that although we cannot minister perfect justice, we can point others to the one who can. Because no court, no judge, no politician, and no human being on this planet can bring perfect justice. No one but God alone can bring perfect justice. And may we not lose sight that the greatest form of justice we can bring is the justice of God found in the gospel. Because listen, any form of justice void of the gospel still leaves a broken and empty and lost soul. Because as we know, the gospel is the balm for a bitter and a broken spirit. The gospel is the medicine for the disease of sin. And so showing and pointing others to the one who can do perfect justice is the most empowering thing we can do for a person. Because only in and through the gospel will every wrong be made right. Brothers and sisters, New City Church, we are a fallen people living in a fallen world, but what an incredible privilege and an incredible hope we have to be able to call on the one who has a better way, who knows the better way, and to display to a divided world what is the better way, which is to reflect and display and declare that Jesus is perfect in justice. Let's pray. God, you came down and you came to restore brokenness. You came in to make, you came down to make all things uh, right. So Father, we pray for the day that you will make all things right. Father, we pray that you, for the day that you will make all things new. Father, you are perfect in justice and until that day, we will do our best as the body of Christ to display to a world a glimpse of the new city that is to come. Father, we love you and we ask this all in Jesus' name.